Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our Spring Bible Conference, Monday 29th of April 2019. This evening we are joined by Pastor Andrew Campbell, who takes his reading from Ruth, Chapter 2, and brings a message entitled, Providence and Provision. Good evening. Good to be with, back with you again this evening, and we're, tonight we're looking at Ruth chapter 2. As I said, we're trying to go through the book of Ruth in five uh, studies, so we're quite ambitious. We're looking at chapter 2 this evening. We'll read the entire chapter together. Joshua, Judges, and then this little book of Ruth, four chapters. We're going to read chapter 2 together. So Ruth 2, verse 1, this is God's word. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her the roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she roasted lean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? 
Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Ending at reading at verse 22, we thank God for his word. Sometimes people say to you, I have good news and bad news for you. Which would you like to hear first? Depends whether you're a half glass half full or a glass half empty person. A guy, a man said, went to this doctor and the doctor said, I have some good news for you and some bad news. What would you like to hear first? And the man said, well, give me the bad news first. And the doctor said, well, the bad news is your operation is going to cost, cost a lot more uh, than I had predicted. And the man said, well, what's the good news? And the doctor said, well, the good news is I'll be able to buy myself a brand new Porsche. In the book of Ruth, we most certainly have the bad news first in chapter 1. There is trauma and sadness. There's famine and death. There's destitution. The first five verses of the book of Ruth are as grim as anything you'll read in the whole Bible. But this evening we're moving into chapter 2, and there are brighter days ahead. The nights are on the turn. In chapter 2, the focus moves from Naomi to Ruth. But we also encounter the third, the third major figure in the book. This time it's this significant man called Boaz. And the writer in the early verses seems to go off on a bit of a tangent as he introduces us to Boaz seemingly out of context. But I believe the writer wants us to have a, a taster of this very imposing character. He doesn't reveal immediately that he will be the answer to Naomi's prayers. But what the writer is saying, he said, keep your eyes on Boaz. He's important. He's significant. And he tells us that he's a relative of Elimelech. He's from the tribe of Judah. His name means swift strength. And he's a kinsman redeemer. And he's a a wonderful picture of our kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Interestingly, Boaz is the seventh character we meet in the book of Ruth. And as you know, the number seven refers to perfection. We're told there in verse 1 that he was a worthy man. But if you look at the genealogy of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, you'll see that Boaz is there, and you'll see that his mother is none other than Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho who hid the spies from the land of Canaan. And here at the outset of this chapter, we see that the Lord uses ordinary people, and in this case, two very ordinary women, Rahab the prostitute, Jericho, Ruth, the pagan girl from Moab, as part of his great extraordinary plan of redemption. We see the amazing, astounding grace of God as he takes these people from obscurity and failure and disgrace, shows them his grace, and sets them into his covenant family. And as the chapter unfolds, we will see that Boaz is everything that Ruth and Naomi are not. He's wealthy. 
they're poor and destitute. He's powerful, they're powerless and vulnerable. He's an influential man whose opinion matters. They're anonymous widows. But as we see the chapter unfold, we see that Boaz is godly, he's gracious, he's compassionate, he's friendly, he's thoughtful. And as we look at this pivotal meeting tonight between Ruth and Boaz, we see four things. First of all, we see Ruth's very positive attitude. The two widows are in great need. There's no social security system. There's no unemployment benefit. There are no emergency payday loans. Yet God has ordained that the poor, the widows, the foreigners could be looked after in His way. Turn back in your Bibles to the book of Leviticus, to Leviticus chapter 19. just want to read two verses to show you the Lord's social security system. Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. God says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall, reap, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. This is God's social security System. He has great sympathy for the disadvantaged and the marginalized. And God's plan for the needy is much better than ours. Because people are not simply handed out benefits. They have to go and work for the food. They have to go and work for the leftovers. And that's exactly what Ruth does with her positive attitude. Notice throughout chapter 2, the writer keeps referring to Ruth as Ruth the Moabite. He's reminding her, reminding us that she's an outsider. Ruth's a foreigner. Time and time again, she's referred to as Ruth the Moabite. But Ruth takes the initiative. And her response is to, to be sensible, to be practical. She rolls up her sleeves. She knows her elderly mother-in-law is at home. She's needy. And she goes looking for work in order to keep the two of them alive. She goes looking for work, but look at verse 2. She's also looking for favor. And that word favor in verse 2 is a very important word. It's the Hebrew word hesed. It's a very significant word in the Old Testament. It's used over 250 times. It can be translated loving kindness, unmerited favor, covenant faithfulness. In fact, it's the closest word in the Old Testament to our word for grace. And it speaks of kindness, kindness, man's kindness to, to another man or a woman's kindness to another woman. But more specifically, it speaks of God's kindness to us, as in Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love. That's that word, hesed, endures forever. And as we sit here tonight as Christians, as believers, we know that the ultimate evidence of God's hesed, God's grace, is the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer, the one who was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, the one who knew no sin, yet for our sake became sin. God has lavished, poured out his 
hesed, his covenant faithfulness upon us at the ultimate expense through the death of his precious, sinless, blameless son, the Lord Jesus. This is Ruth's positive attitude. But secondly, in the text, we see this very subtle providence. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2. We're told, And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. If you have an authorized version there, it will say, Her hap was to light on the part of the field. The Hebrew original reads, Her chance chanced. Now, the writer of the book of Ruth certainly doesn't believe in luck. He's using this expression to get us thinking about the Lord's subtle providence in the life of Ruth and Naomi. See, our God that we belong to is a God of sovereignty. He's a God of providence. He has brought this widow from the land of Moab. She has turned her back on her family, her idolatry, her false gods, and now she's a believer in the true and living God, Jehovah. And the God of the Bible has providentially guided her to this field belonging to a relative of Elimelech. Everything that has happened in her life and in Naomi's life for the past 10 years was leading up to this most significant and seminal event. She just happened to be in the part of the field belonging to Elimelech. There's a story told about a tavern keeper's wife in Nottingham back in the 19th century. And she was dying. And a certain evangelist was told to go and visit this lady and witness to her. But whenever he came to, to see her, he found that she was already a believer and she was rejoicing in her salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he asked her, how did you come to know the Lord Jesus? And she handed him a piece of paper. And she said, by reading that piece of paper. It was a torn piece of paper, and he looked at it, and he found that it was a cutting from an American newspaper containing an extract from one of Charles Spurgeon's sermons. And that extract of that sermon had been the means of bringing this lady to faith, personal faith in Jesus Christ. And so he asked her, where, where did you get the newspaper from? She told him it came wrapped around a parcel that had arrived from Australia. And the evangelist thought about Charles Haddon Spurgeon preaching in the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. And as it happened in those days, his sermons were taken to America, and in America they were reprinted, and this extract was printed in an American newspaper. And it just so happened that that newspaper was sent to Australia for some reason. And it just so happened that piece of paper was used to wrap a parcel. And it just so happened that that parcel was sent to England. And it just so happened that the tavern keeper's wife opened the parcel, read the wrapping, and read Charles Haddon Spurgeon's sermon and came to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the providence of God. That's the way God works. And you may sit here this evening and you may say to yourself, well, I don't really see God's providence in my life. Well, the answer is that God's providence is subtle. And I believe God wants us to think about his providence in our lives. And sometimes, in, in reality, we only see his providence in hindsight. And we look back and we see all the links in the chain. Think tonight of how you came to faith in Christ. All the people involved 
in your journey to faith in Christ. Godly parents, godly friends, godly Sunday school teachers. And whenever you do that, whenever you think about God's providence, you will realize that there have been a lot of it just so happened. Nothing happens by chance. The Lord is in control of every seemingly unimportant and insignificant event in our lives. This is a very subtle providence. Thirdly, tonight in the text we see unconditional kindness. As we see Boaz interact with Ruth, we see compassion, we see concern for this stranger from Moab. We see provision. He shows her genuine kindness, instructing her to work alongside his women in the field. The servants of the owner of the field were allowed to work immediately after the harvester. It was position A. And they would get the best of the grain available. The poor would have to go to the outside of the field. Look at verse 9. There's more provision. Boaz tells Ruth, if she's thirsty, just go to his men to get a drink. Boaz says, don't have to worry. Don't worry about having to walk away over to the well. Just go to the edge of the field and drink the water that my men have collected. What kindness and compassion from Boaz. There's provision, but there's also protection. Verse 9 tells Boaz, Boaz tells Ruth that he's instructed the, the young men to stay away from Ruth. Remember, this is the time of the judges. This is the time when everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And barley harvest was a time of immorality. A time when the normal rules of society would have been relaxed. And this woman from Moab would have been vulnerable. And Boaz shows great concern, great kindness, because others might have dismissed this woman because of where she came from. A lesson for us all on Boaz's unconditional kindness, unconditional acceptance to someone who wasn't local. Someone from a, a foreign, even a, a hostile country. Boaz shows no bias. He shows no partiality. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's considerate. But above all, he's just downright kind. Kindness speaks volumes to people. Kindness is one of the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. Time and time again in the New Testament, we're encouraged to be kind. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And this is all in response to the kindness God has lavished on us. We deserved His judgment. We deserved His wrath. We deserved hell. But as Titus 3.4 tells us, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which he have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Kindness. Alistair Begg is a, a pretty high-profile preacher today. He was at the Bangor Missionary Convention recently. He's a minister, a pastor in Parkside Church in Cleveland, Ohio. But he was born in Scotland. He tells of the time back in Scotland whenever he was quite young that his mother died. 
He came from a Christian family. And he remembers the huge volume of sympathy cards that came through the letterbox from his neighbors and from his friends. Most of those cards quoted a verse of Scripture. But Alistair Begg says he can't remember any of those texts or any of those cards who they came from. But what he does remember is the kindly neighbor who came along every week to their house to help out with the ironing and the cleaning. Someone has said, kindness is the language the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Boaz demonstrates his godly character to the full by his unconditional kindness. Boaz doesn't show kindness to Ruth because he has his eye on her as a potential wife. He shows kindness because he's a godly man. He's a man of great integrity. And he's a man who has great respect for Ruth's unprecedented kindness to her mother-in-law, Naomi. He shows favor, kindness, goodness to someone who wasn't expecting it, someone who was destitute, someone who was marginalized. And this is a mark of a true Christian. The Lord Jesus laid great emphasis on kindness and on care for the vulnerable and the needy of society. Remember what he said in Matthew 25, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. The kindness that Boaz shows, the unconditional kindness he shows, is just the same way the kindness of the Lord Jesus. It's indiscriminate. It's impartial. It's undeserved. And it's unconditional. To genuine Christianity should include anonymous, sacrificial care for the poor and the needy. And in our churches, we need to welcome people, especially visitors and especially strangers. And in our society we live in today, our society has changed the past 20, 25 years. There are many people in our society today, just like Ruth, from another country. And they're working here. And we need to make them welcome. And we need to show them the love of Jesus Christ and be impartial to them. Boaz shows no partiality. He is undoubtedly a great man, a man of great integrity, great influence. What unconditional kindness Ruth has shown. But lastly tonight we see abundant blessing. Look at verse 10. Ruth says to Boaz, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, a foreigner? This must have just seemed like a dream for Ruth. She began the day early in the morning with the poor and needy. She's worked hard all day. Now this gracious man has spoken kindly to her. And she's blessed in a most extraordinary way. She worked alongside the privileged women. She's safe from harm. All her needs are met. And we see through God's provision and God's protection through this servant Boaz. Remember what, what Ruth's request was whenever she left that morning, that she might find 
favor, and she has been lavished with favor, provision, protection, and grace, and blessing. And she falls down before Boaz on her face, asking him, why have I been treated so well? Why have I been treated so favorably? And we see this remarkable commendation from Boaz to Ruth. He informs her that he knows all about her background. He knows all about her willingness to turn her back on the false religion of Moab, to leave her family, her home. He knows all about her conversion to the true God of Israel. Boaz knows everything about her life. And he commends her for her faith and her devotion. Look at verse 14. He prays for Ruth. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Isn't that a lovely statement there? Under whose wings? The imagery here is a a, a tiny bird snuggling under the wings of its foster mother. It's a picture of trust and security. Ruth is part of the covenant family of God. She's a believer. Her trust is in Jehovah. And under his wings is a place of satisfaction and shelter and strength and security. As Psalm 36 says, Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. And tonight, if you're a Christian here, as a believer, you know that whenever you're going through a time of testing, whenever the wheels have come off, whenever something comes across your path that threatens to tear you apart, remember tonight, you're under the protection of the wings of Almighty God. And we can take shelter in the storm under His wings. Boaz reassures Ruth, you're in the right place. He singled her out for protection and provision. And here we see a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus and this man, Boaz. It's right before our eyes. He was a man of great wealth. He knew all about Ruth before he met her. He was compassionate to a stranger. He served Ruth generously. He met all her needs. He drew Ruth's heart to him. He let her know of his affection for her. This is how the Lord Jesus Christ has dealt with us. He sent his spirit just at the right time to convict us of our sin, to call us by his grace, and to draw him to himself. And the blessing continues for Ruth. Verse 14, we're told that she provides, he provides food for her, at mealtime, in fact, she gets so much, we're told, she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. There's enough for a doggy bag to take home. And the blessing continues. Boaz instructs the young men, let the grain fall from the bundles intentionally for Ruth. And after a full day's work, her first day of work, Ruth has gathered an ephah of barley. That's about 14 kilos or 30 pounds in old money. But the exact weight isn't important. The fact is the 
abundant blessing she received. What she has gleaned that day is well and above what an average gleaner would get, and she's enough grain to do her and Naomi for about two weeks after her first day of working. And as the weeks progress, there will be more and more grain gleaned, clear evidence of how the Lord has lavished his abundant blessing on her. See, on that morning, she left home empty. And she comes home, not only full, but staggering under the weight of God's abundant blessing. Remember chapter 1, Naomi went out full, she came home empty. Chapter 2, Ruth goes out empty, she comes home full. God is moving. God is turning the situation around for our good, for the good of his people, and for the glory of his name. And meanwhile, all day, Naomi is sitting at home waiting anxiously, wondering how it's going for Ruth, wondering if she's safe, wondering how she's going on collecting the grain. And finally, she hears the familiar footsteps coming to the door, and Ruth almost collapses at the door under the weight of all this grain on her back. And Ruth gives Naomi the doggy bag of roasted grain. Someone has said, this is the first fast food dinner in the Bible. And I'm sure some of the men here have mothers-in-law. As mother-in-laws do, Naomi bombarded Ruth with questions. Quick-fire questions. Where did you glean today? Where have you worked today? And Ruth casually, almost matter of a fact, says, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. This is the news that Naomi's been waiting for. This is the breakthrough she's been waiting for. And this is probably the most significant verse in the entire book, as Naomi tells Ruth, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Naomi knows this man could be the answer to her prayers. This is the Redeemer they have been waiting on. This is finally some good news for Naomi. And Ruth is thinking to herself, maybe tomorrow I can call my mother-in-law Naomi again instead of Mara. Naomi means pleasant and lovely. Mara means bitter. You see, we're moving from barrenness to blessing. We're moving from famine to fullness. I'm sure Ruth slept well that night. She had worked hard all day. And if you were reading this story for the very first time, you'd be putting two and two together, especially you ladies, and you'd be saying there's love on the air. This young widow who's put her trust in the Lord and this handsome older farmer with plenty of money and plenty of land. I'm sure Ruth dreamt that night about Boaz. What a day to remember. And the mother-in-law is so impressed with her daughter-in-law's work, the bitterness is starting to ebb away. Things may be about just about to turn the corner. And the knight in shining armor is none other than a relation of her dead husband. 
I believe Naomi sitting there that night hears wedding bells already. She's phoning the Hilton in Bethlehem to check out a date for the reception. And to a certain extent, you can understand her impatience and her anxiety. After all those years in Moab, all that tragedy and trial, ten years, three people dead, her husband and her two sons, all the trouble and all the tears in Moab. Could this be the answer to my prayer? Look at verse 20. Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and dead. That's the word there again, Hesed, kindness in verse 20. The Lord has shown his grace and favor. The famine's over. And for the first time in ages, Naomi goes to bed on a full stomach. Enough grain in the house to last them for quite a few weeks. Her faith revitalized, her hope renewed. How? By an ephah of barley. And sometimes it just takes the smallest thing to revitalize our faith and to renew our hope. Stuart Holden was an evangelical minister in the Church of England. And he was sitting in a study one day, he was preparing for his 36th trip to the United States. He was a preacher in great demand. He spoke at churches and conferences all over the United States and Great Britain. In this study, he was making final preparations for his next trip to America. He had purchased a first-class ticket for a steamship bound for America. But his wife was taken ill. She had to go to hospital. She needed surgery. And as much as he felt he had to go to America and preach, he knew that his wife was first priority. So he had to cancel his trip. The date was April 1912 and the ship, the Titanic. And he kept that little steamship ticket and he framed it and he put it in his study wall reminding him of God's unfailing goodness to him. It doesn't take much to remind us of God's faithfulness. Sometimes it's an ephah of barley. Sometimes it's a steamship ticket to America. Sometimes it's a providential meeting, a phone call out of the blue, a text message, an answer to prayer to restore your hope. God has lavished his hesed, his grace on Ruth and Naomi, and Naomi's hope is being renewed. But as you know, she goes to bed alone. She sleeps alone. She'll still miss her husband. She'll still miss her sons. She'll still shed plenty of tears. She's still poor. This is how God's hesed works. It works in the midst of our pain. It works alongside our pain. Naomi's reaction to trouble was to believe that God had temporarily abandoned her. But what we need to do, friends, is to remind ourselves, especially in the tight times, 
especially when the pressure's on, especially when that phone call brings bad news, when the results from the doctor shatter us, when our faith is at a low ebb. We need to remember God's hesed, His grace. And remember as we close, our grief, our heartache, come together with His grace. And no matter what you're going through today or this week, God's unfailing love never changes. And His mercies are new every morning. How great is His faithfulness to us all. We thank God for His word to our hearts tonight.